Plants capture CO2. What if we could help industrial plants capture it too? Think how we could help lower emissions. It's one way ExxonMobil is helping industrial plants be more like plants. Ready to roll. Jerry Jones speaks out on the possibility of Zeke Elliott missing regular season games. We'll explain what it all could mean for both sides. And more words exchanged between Antonio Brown and Ben Roethlisberger. Is it time to finally turn the page to a new year? Our analysts weigh in. Plus, we'll dig into all the most intriguing fantasy football timeshares, how to handle the Titans running backs, and more. As usual, it's a busy day here on NFL Live with Field Yates, Victor Cruz, Rob Ninkovich, I'm Susie Culver. Final preseason games for every team tomorrow, which also means that the clock is ticking on the regular season. So with a sense of urgency kicking in, that's where we start. Zeke Elliott's holdout, 33 days and counting. The star running back still in Cabo training. Cowboys owner, GM, Jerry Jones, speaking on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas suggesting he doesn't see a deadline approaching to get a new deal done. Have to be prepared uh, to be trite. We have to be prepared to uh, uh, play without any given player. And um, uh, that's just a given. That's not unusual business in the NFL. And uh, we've played without uh, players for suspension. We've played without them for injury. Uh, it'll happen again this year. And uh, we may very well play without a player that uh, uh, is uh, not coming in on his contract. So if that's the case, we'll just play. And we'll play, and we'll play well. Uh, is there personal feelings involved? Sure there are. Uh, but at the end of the day, we've been doing this now 30 years, and uh having criticism, having uh, uh, contract uh, negotiations. Uh, some of the best friends I have in the world are people that I have directly negotiated contracts with and had uh, business that we had to uh, get reconciled. That's just part of living. Art of living. For more perspective, we welcome Jeff Darlington. The narrative all along, Jeff, has been that they'll get a deal done before week one. Where does that stand now? <laughs> Quite frankly, Susie, it stands in the exact same place as it has. We need to be very careful as we reset our expectations every time we hear from Jerry or Stephen Jones. Just a few days ago, we heard that they were optimistic that they could get a deal done. Now they're calling it a potential marathon. The one thing that has not changed is Ezekiel Elliott's stance. Three months ago, he was planning this holdout in training camp to try to get a contract, even as the Cowboys never thought that he would do it. And now he seeks to be the highest paid running back in the NFL. As we continue to discuss these negotiations, though, and very publicly, obviously, we need to remember something. Just because Ezekiel Elliott is saying that he wants to be the highest paid running back in the NFL... There's a big differentiator there. Does that mean $1 more than Todd Gurley or millions more than Todd Gurley? That's where this negotiation can ultimately get settled. We still have time, despite a lot of people thinking otherwise. We still have time for this to get done. The deadline ultimately will be what gets it there. Okay, that's Jeff Darlington with the latest on Zeke Elliott. All comes down to leverage. That's always the way it is. Who do you believe has the most leverage right now? I, I suppose... 
that it's the team only because, like, you know, whether Ezekiel Elliott is there or not, the games do begin. But like, I don't know that like one side has this clearly in their court versus the other because uh, I thought, by the way, that was good reporting there from Jeff. Kind of made me feel a little bit more uh, at ease with the entire situation. I don't know if you can say definitively, right, because if you look at the Cowboys' early season schedule, it wouldn't surprise me with or without Zeke Elliott if they started 3-0 and and all of a sudden it feels like the leverage is squarely on their side. At the same time, over Ezekiel Elliott's three seasons in the games that he has played, he has carried the football at least 20 times in a game and 70% of the occasions. We could talk about workhorse running backs, but there is the workhorse running back in the NFL, and that is Zeke. So you can make a compelling case on either side. For me, I think Jerry Jones is coming to the realization that Ezekiel Elliott won't be there for week one, and who knows how much longer throughout the season. And obviously with the, uh, you know, with the early success and preseason of Tony Pollard, he feels a little bit more at ease about that decision, but he understands that Ezekiel Elliott is the engine that drives this train. And he knows that it's not about the first month of the season. It's not about the second month of the season. It's about having Ezekiel healthy and there and available when it's time. Playoff time, December, January, when it's time for him to be available. Now, we have to understand when that time is or if they start the season one and three, two and two, and even if they start three and oh field, what is the production of the running back position look like? What is that? How is that transpiring week to week? And are they comfortable with where it is in terms of where Ezekiel stands in contract? It's interesting that he's looking at the upside of, well, he'd have fresh legs for the stretch run exactly. or however long it takes. That mm-hmm. I guess that's well, glasses half full. The stretch run way. might not be there if he's not there early in the season, though. So, you know, the team has the upper hand when it comes to contracts and holding out. We've seen that time and time again. A player holds out, they hold out, they hold out. Then they come back because they have to. Eventually, there's fines involved, and you start looking, okay, I'm being fined how much a day per day. I'm not there a long time. So we'll see what happens here. I think both parties are going to be affected by this. You know, the, the, the Cowboys need him there, and he also needs the Cowboys. So, you know, we'll see how it works out. It seems like both are dug in really deep, and it could be like a chest-pounding thing. Like, oh, I got the bigger chest. And that, you never want to be in that, right? You never want to get into that position, but it seems like it could be that right now, especially with Jerry Jones and how he's talking about that. I think the that. question is, will he go as far as Le'Veon Bell did? Is, is he willing to sacrifice a season? I don't think it gets there. Ooh. I think this is a different circumstance. But <laughs> yes. is he willing to do that? Will it get that far? We didn't think Le'Veon Bell would get that far, right. and yet here we are. But well, if you would just clear up the difference in the two situations, I was just very say, different. Is that Le'Veon Bell, you know, obviously he was on the franchise center, which he never saw. He was never actually under contract. Whereas if Zeke misses the entirety of this year, he's got two more years left yeah. on his contract. And that's he's another made. thing. It gives the team leverage. Yeah. You know, you're a first-round pick. They could control you for six years, basically. Right, seven. The if, they, tag, for, sure. if they tag you twice, it's seven years. You think about that. It's like, wow, I'd rather be a second-round pick, you yeah. know? Yeah. Beyond, or, or free agent. But beyond all the dynamics involved with any player and any team negotiating mm-hmm. a contract, I think we can say with pretty – like plain certainty, when the Cowboys are involved, it's different, right? How many teams, owner slash general manager, are on the radio multiple times a week addressing the situation, are doing so in such a transparent manner? We know, I mean, as Jerry said in that audio right there, like sometimes it sounds like what he wants to do is him, Zeke, get into a room and hammer it out. 
Like why just kind not? of everything else. Well, yeah. why is that so tough? Well, sometimes well, there's another guy involved. There's an agent an there agent. sometimes. And you and there look, over the years I've experienced an agent talking to somebody and then they talk and they give it back to you. And then it's not necessarily exactly word for word what it should be. Mm-hmm. And then there's maybe an issue, right? Instead of just two guys coming together like, hey, how how do we get this solved right now? How do we do this? Yeah. For, so we're both happy. Sometimes but, that doesn't happen. But put the agent in the room. Why can't they just all be in the yeah, room? Yeah, that makes sense, right? Sometimes Why not? Let's all sit down and, and hash it out. <laughs> yeah, I wish life worked that way. <laughs> <laughs> there might be quarterback exactly. agents out there yeah. right now saying, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. good idea. Sure thing. Yeah, great. All right, we'll have more on the possibility of the Cowboys starting the season without the league's leading rusher a little bit later on the show. News now and another holdout, three-time Pro Bowl pass rusher Jadevian Clowney. Varying reports here. One that he planned to sign as one-year franchise tender and report to the team this week until he found out the Texans had plans to trade him. Another that Clowney met with Dolphins coach Brian Flores, though he may actually prefer a contender. So is Clowney worth a potential trade and big contract? Though by some measures, no. If you're looking at traditional numbers, Clowney's career stats aren't even close to J.J. Watt, who probably sets the bar for top pass rushers. But... A deeper look at Clowney's impact tells a different story. He had the third highest pass rush win rate in the NFL last season, beating his block 36% of the time. That, according to ESPN pass rush metrics, using NFL next-gen stats. Watt beat his block 27% of the time. But I think you'd rather have the combo package. You know, the sure. Clowney and Watt together is what really makes it sing. But before we kind of get to that part, you know, Adam Schefter keeps referring to the Clowney thing is complicated. Yes. Why is it so complicated? So he has not yet signed his franchise tag tender. And if he were to be traded, he would sign that first. Now, a team acquiring Genevi and Clowney could not extend him beyond the 2019 season until after this season is over. It's a one-year arrangement for right now. The money is $15.67 million heading towards Jadevian Clowney. Now, they could negotiate that salary up a little bit for this year, but that's very, very uncommon. So if you're a team acquiring Jadevian Clowney, you're taking on a player who, at the end of this year, may not want to be with you and could hypothetically test free agency if you're unwilling to double-tag Jadevian Clowney And there are question marks about how much you're going to have to pay. Houston's not simply going to just hand him off like a quarterback to a running back with a football. He's a valuable player for them. And ultimately, as you said, they want their combo package, too, of Watt, Clowney, and the rest of that very good defensive front seven. How do you think they're looking with him, without him? Well, they have their leaders. You know, they have Merciless, who's a great player as well. Um, J.J. Watt, we all know J.J. Watt's a terrific player. Um, you know, I think it's tough when you're not there for camp and you're not there to build the team, so to speak. And when you're not going through the, the process of training camp and you come in week one, like, it's hard to come in week one and just play because there's kind of a, a groove going on right now. Mm-hmm. The defense, they're learning from each other. They're playing together. They're talking to each other, communicating. So, you know, I think that when you're the Texans – there's a reason why maybe they're not paying them. They don't have a cap issue, right. you know. So there's some reason maybe it could be potential injury. And they have been with him for a long time now. So they know work ethic. They know um, how he's, he has dealt with injuries or what his future couple years look like with some of the injuries that he has had in the past. So with that knowledge, if I'm another team, I'm like, okay, hold up. This guy's a really good player. Why is there an issue? Why? 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 So – you know, that would be my biggest question. Why? And I think the team right now, the defense, 
they're doing okay right now. They have leaders there that have been there that are the playmakers. So to lose a guy, yeah, sure, you want three guys on the field that are big pass rushers, but they still have a lot of production there. Bill O'Brien said yesterday in his press conference, we have other pass rushers. Yep. Are you, are you buying that, though? Yeah, I am. I am. Okay. Because if you have two guys like Whitney Merciless and J.J. Watt, those two guys alone, if you put them on one side, they're going to be good, good players for you. And you, you need two other guys, maybe one, that could jump in there. But when help. you look at Jadavion Clowney and what he brings to the table, though, there aren't many guys that have his skill set out there in the league. Obviously, he's versatile. He can play inside, interior defensive line, as well as outside. So the fact that he's that versatile um, to that team, can, can losing him will be highly impactful. I think you're right, though. The question is, why haven't they paid him? Right? But if, here's my thing, too. If you're going to make the money that he wants to make, you have to be disruptive every play. A Mac. Mm-hmm. A Donald, right? Well, you have because to he be wants to be paid like, like them. Those. So, yes. If you want to be the guy, yes. you have to beat everybody, and you have to be disruptive, and you have to change game plans, and you have to, hey, guess what? we got to go split back. we got to chip this guy, because if we don't, it's a sack. But he is a guy that you have to account for. He's a guy that you circle on Does the list change on game Wednesdays. Plans? Yes, because it's him and J.J. Watt out there together. You have is to account JJ for both. Is it J.J. or is it him that's it's changing It's both of them plans. together, okay. I feel like. The, them two together now. changes that defensive line. Merciless, is, he's a great player, he's a great but player. he's older in his years. He's not as young as Jadavion Clowney, and he doesn't have as much upside as Jadavion does right now in this moment. So I guess the question is, why won't the Texans pay him? They've been with him for the long haul. Why are they dragging their feet in terms of extending him long term? Well, certainly something to keep in mind. I mean, as you guys have said, they've got five years of exposure and familiarity to Jadavian Clowney. Mm-hmm. And, you know, since his rookie year, they know the injury history. I think what's really fascinating here, because you just posed this question, is can, do they have enough pass rush? Bill O'Brien says they're fine. Are they? Here's where I can buy it, especially, is if they turn Jadavian Clowney into something they could really use right now. Because if you look at this roster, it is very good in a lot of spots, including an outstanding young quarterback. Who's protecting him right now? Huge questions along the offensive line. Mm-hmm. And who's carrying the football? Right. Duke Johnson is now their workhorse. And Duke Johnson's right, never had an more injury than, at, at running yeah, recently. 104 right. ma- uh, rushing attempts for Duke Johnson is a single season high. After Lamar Miller's injury, if you can turn Genevieve Clowney into a couple of pieces, picks are, are nice. But Texans don't have right – like, now. They don't need to worry about 2020. Yeah, they yeah. need to worry about right now because yeah. that division, they won it Stats. last year. And – in case you missed it because you've been under rock for the past week, <laughs> yeah. it's wide open again with yeah. Andrew Luck's retirement. It is absolutely wide open, right? And things will change again. We'll yep. see. So as teams work to get their roster set, final cuts coming Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern, final 53, we're going to run through the rosters and have our guys tell you who they believe is in really good shape and Field's going to follow up with perhaps some concerns. So we'll start in the AFC, and let's get it going with the AFC East. Who Am makes going you first, happy? Susie? Who do you like? I like going first. Susie. Yes, I like, right. obviously, the New England Patriots. What? Obviously, it's been talked about at length. Tom Brady, Julian Edelman, I know he's got a suspension. He'll be back after game four. Sunni Michelle, all these guys coming back, but Tom Brady's the linchpin, right? He's the one that gets all those guys together. And I haven't doubted him once before, and I'm not doing it now. So Tom Brady and the New England Patriots are the most complete offense to me in the AFC East. How about defense? Okay, so I'm not going to look. Look, Uh-oh. look. I'm not going to have to defend Uh-oh. myself. I'm just okay. going to say, in the East, it is the Patriots. Okay. You talk about linebacking core. I think mm-hmm. they have the best group probably in the NFL. Dante Hightower, Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins coming back. Juan Bentley, who coming back from an injury, Purdue guy, boiler up. <laughs> anyway, but I think that they are going to be the strongest defense in the AFC East. Coordinator, no, coordinator. Well, you know, it helps coach. that you got the best coach of all time 
you know, calling the shots. So I think they'll be good. If there was a concern field, what would it be for you in the East? So I think my question mark over the next five or so days is what does Miami do? We just talked about Jadevi and Clowney. They've been rumored to be interested in Clowney. But beyond that, this is a team that sort of feels like it's building towards 2020 and beyond. What do they do with other veterans on their roster that might be in the final year of their contract? Brian Flores, a guy that Nink, of course, knows very well, understood when he took this job. This was not going to be you sign up, you win 11 games, you overtake the Patriots for the division. He is going to be patient. The organization is willing to be patient. How do they approach these next five days? Could they be one of the most active teams in terms of trades and the waiver wire? Big questions in Miami. How about the AFC North? On okay, the AFC North. This one's a tricky one for me because I know that they haven't, that, that nucleus, those shiny new toys that Baker Mayfield has, hasn't really touched the field just yet. A little bit in the preseason, but week one will tell the tale about this offense. But I think on paper, when you look at what ba- Baker Mayfield did a year ago and you look at the weapons he has now, you almost have no choice but to put him in that complete offense category because he's got a lot of guys to throw the football to and a lot of talented guys to throw the football to. And I got them as the complete offense in AFC North. Okay. Defense. Hey, talk is cheap now. Talk is cheap. I'm going to go on paper. <laughs> on paper, right? <laughs> we'll see. AFC North, I'm going to go with history here. Okay. I like history. I love history. So when you look back at the Ravens, last year, one of the best defenses, the best defense, number one, they did lose some pieces. Suggs, obviously not there. But they still have veteran leaders there. Earl Thomas is there in the secondary leading that group. I think that they will continue to have that best defense in the North with the history. We all know about 2,000 Ravens. And, you know, last year they're another good team. So I think that the North AFC, that's going to be the top defense. They lost well. a lot of pieces. So what do you have your eye on? <laughs> well, it's I'm going back on history now. <laughs> they seem to find a way. They find a way. They seem to find a way. Yes, yes. So for the Browns, great wide receivers, exciting pass rushers, the quarterback you love, running back, very deep in the backfield. What about the offensive line? Is Baker Mayfield going to have the requisite time and space to make all the throws that we know he is capable of making? Greg Robinson signed to a one-year contract this offseason, a guy that has been inconsistent in his career after being drafted number two overall. Enough space for Baker Mayfield, who, yes, he seems like the kind of guy that can handle the pressure, but still, no space to throw makes life difficult on any quarterback, even the one that has shown as much promise as Baker Mayfield. As we run through the most complete units in the AFC, how about in the AFC South? Okay, in the AFC South. So this one's going to create some controversy. See how Rob's looking at me here already. Okay. And I'm going with the Colts. Listen, I believe in Jacoby Brissett. I still feel like that offense, holistically, they got weapons to throw to. They got guys that understand their roles on the football team. And when guys understand their roles, good things happen. And Jacoby Brissett just has to go out there, be accurate, throw the football downfield, understand his role, and that's to get the playmakers the football. And I think he does that with this offense that's already been dialed in and curated for Andrew Luck. I think Jacoby steps in, a viable per, a viable quarterback to take the reins from Andrew. Everybody doubted them last year, and look what they did. Look what they did. How about the defense? Vic, I just want to say, <laughs> that quarterback, though, I do like him, okay? I like him. I like there Jacoby. he is. I do like him. But in the AFC South, defensively, mm-hmm. I think that the Jacksonville Jaguars Mm. are going to be a a team that are going to be really tough on that side of the ball. Just because last year, I think they had a down year a little bit. You know, they they have some veterans that are coming back, and I think that they have to kind of just, look, we're back. It's us. We can do this. We got a quarterback now. We don't have to worry about us doing all the work. That's the biggest thing for them. So if you can move the ball on offense, you got Fournette who's coming back. He wants to prove himself too. Mm-hmm. If you can prove yourself on offense and defensively you have the confidence again, I think they're going to be a tough team. They as didn't well. always play like a team last year. Exactly. It's a new shot now. They have a shot 
to be a team. What do you have your eye on? How about Jacoby Brissett, the guy that these two just mentioned? So, lots to like about Jacoby. Incredible maturity, strong arm, the kind of guy that's functionally athletic and mobile. Mm-hmm. Remember that yep. naked bootleg yes, for a touchdown yes. against the Texans back a few seasons ago when he stepped in for then Jimmy Garoppolo. The question is just, how does he handle everything that is now on his plate? Final year of his contract, chance to make a bunch of money because he'll be a free agent after this year. The kind of guy that I think has the mental wherewithal to handle it. And this roster, so much better. GM Chris Ballard, I truly believe, has done as good of a job as there is in the NFL over the past two years of building his roster to where it is now. Yeah, with obviously not expecting to lose your franchise quarterback. Now, Everything they've done, they've done right. Seriously, everything. AFC West. All right, AFC West, this is a no-brainer. I'm not even – I mean, Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, you understand what these guys got. Now the challenge for Patrick Mahomes is can he do it again, and I'm sure that's what he's thinking about. Yeah, so in the AFC West, I'm going to go with a team that has a tremendous pass rush. And you think about Bosa and Ingram, two mm-hmm. guys on the edge that are tough to account for, mm-hmm. and you have to go into the game with a game plan. How do we stop these two guys? They're going to get after you. They're going to be disruptive. And I think last year, experience, understanding, like, hey, if mm-hmm. we can get this done on defense, we got a pretty good offense and a good quarterback. But, field, but, but I can make B-U-T, a question mark but. for really any of these teams, right? I mean, for the Oakland Raiders, how does it all fit with Derek Carr and John Gruden? For the Kansas City Chiefs, have they made just enough defensive reparations compared to where they were last year? Obviously, a lot of holes in that defense mm-hmm. last season. Mm-hmm. And for the Chargers, who was playing in Week 1? Melvin Gordon, we don't think he's going to play there. Keenan Allen, he's been banged up with an ankle issue. Derwin James, out for several months. But I think Melvin Gordon, push comes to shove, is the biggest question mark in that division. You think they have enough enough talent, enough enough depth to get it done for Phillip Rivers, even with all those key players injured? If Derwin James is back by Thanksgiving and Melvin Gordon Help. shows up in the next... Say two weeks, which sounds unlikely. Yes. Big expectations for the Chargers team. Geico presents Monster Counseling. Dracula, tell me how you're feeling. No one understands how lonely it is. No one will even let me into their house. I knock and I knock, but they ignore me. Uh Uh-huh. What else? I look in the mirror and (laughs) I don't even see myself anymore. If you don't see yourself clearly, can you really expect others to? I'm having a breakthrough. It's not easy to be a vampire. But with GEICO, it's super easy to switch and save hundreds on your car insurance. Eight days from NFL opening day and 11 from the full opening. The clock is ticking on the Cowboys. Zeke Elliott's holdout 33 days and counting. The star running back still in Cabo training. Cowboys owner slash GM Jerry Jones speaking on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas, suggesting that he doesn't see a deadline approaching to get a new deal done have to be prepared uh, to be trite. We have to be prepared to uh, uh, play without any given player. And um, uh, that's just a given. That's not unusual business in the NFL. And uh, we played without uh, players for suspension. We played without them for injury. Uh, it'll happen again this year. And uh, we may very well play without a player that uh, uh, is uh, not coming in on his contract. So if that's the case, we'll just play, and we'll play, and we'll play well. Uh, is there personal feelings involved? Sure there are. Uh, but at the end of the day, we've been doing this now 30 years, and uh, having criticism, having uh, uh, contract uh, negotiations, uh, some of the best friends I have in the world are people that I have directly negotiated contracts with and had uh, business that we had to uh, 
get reconciled. That's just part of living. Right, and he's basing it on the confidence that somehow it always gets done. But what does this offense look like without Zeke Elliott? Well, it looks, you know, uh, without Ezekiel Elliott there, you don't have that balance that you once have. You don't have the balance or, you know, the defense having to account for a guy out of the backfield in the screen game, out in the open field catching passes, and simply just handing him the ball off as well. He affects the game in so many different areas that you have to account for that it's a completely different team when you see him when he's not on the field. And you have to account for that. The Cowboys understand his importance. Jerry Jones knows how important Ezekiel Elliott to this team and he has to figure out a way to get him on the field. Obviously, you know, given the circumstance, he might be without him for the first couple of weeks or however long that takes. But Jerry Jones knows how important Ezekiel Elliott's production is to that football team and how um, Dak Prescott needs him as well. So they have that balance so that the open it opens up down the field, it opens up things for the receivers. Ezekiel Elliott is extremely important to that. How different team. is your game plan? I was just going to say that. Yes. I was just going to say game planning. Mm-hmm. So as a defender, when you have a big-time player – during the week, you, okay, 21. When's 21? 21's on the field. Hey, 21's on the field. Alert, 21's on the field. Alert, this, 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 this. So when you don't have that, when you don't have that guy, you're just going in like, okay, what, is, what, are their, what do they like to run? They're going to put in somebody that's not as talented or isn't, isn't as good, but we're just going to defend what they show us as opposed to we need to stop that guy. Because if you stop that guy, then it changes the whole game. So when they don't have that, it's hard. Quarterbacks, if you don't have the running game, that's what sets up your play action. That's what sets up your boot. Everything is set off of running the football, even screens. Mm-hmm. You set up the screen. You set up the running plays through pound, 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 pull it. There's your linebacker sucked up inside. There's mm-hmm. your 10-yard window that you're looking for. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it's going to be difficult for them to create their identity on what they are without having a guy like that, 21. You know, Le'Veon Bell still apologizing to fantasy owners for what yeah. happened last season. <laughs> so what would you do fantasy-wise? What would you do with Zeke? I'm glad you mentioned Le'Veon Bell because we did draw a distinction between this and, Ze- and Zeke from a contract situation. But for fantasy football, Susie, they kind of align, right? The idea right. being you could use a, the number one overall pick if you wanted last year on Le'Veon Bell. If you knew you had Zeke for 16 games this year, you might use the number one overall pick. So what it ends up being is now – you can't dig Zeke in the first three picks. You've got such great players in Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, and Alvin Kamara. But if you do take Zeke with a first-round pick, you better be ready to pay the premium on Tony Pollard, one of the names that we just saw on that list. Now, he's got as many career NFL carries as I do. That being said, he's way more talented at football than I am, and he looks like the real deal that if the Cowboys had turned for him to him for a few games or one game or maybe more than that, he would be the next person up and you would bring a lot of value to you. So if you draft Zeke, Make sure that you're willing to pull the trigger on Tony, I'm sorry, Tony Pollard right. and probably sooner than others in your draft room would be comfortable. What was your average yards of carry? Well, I never fumbled. So I got that going. <laughs> so there we go. Yeah. Okay, no there turnovers. We go. yeah. Yeah. We're going yeah. to hit field on some other roster decisions oh, you know, based plenty. on fantasy in a bit. But first, so week four of the preseason, we know, kicks off tomorrow night. One of the biggest questions that remains unanswered, who will be the Dolphins' starting quarterback? Journeyman Ryan Fitzpatrick or second-year quarterback Josh Rosen? Neither has truly distinguished himself so far in the preseason. Field, Dolphins quarterbacks, what are you hearing first off about tomorrow night, what we might say? Well, how about this? There's only one quarterback competition. As you said, it's, un- it's undetermined, right? So I think that tomorrow night what you're going to see across the league is players that are fighting for essentially spots 
46 through 63 on a roster. Mm-hmm. Now the NFL has 10-man practice squads, and some of the guys that are waived this weekend are going to end up winding up on those practice squads. But before you get into that, though, the Dolphins, the Dolphins specifically. specifically. Yeah, like what, what should we look for tomorrow night, and then uh, where do you think it might go? I think personally it's going to end up being Ryan Fitzpatrick, who starts for them week, uh, week one of this regular season. There's a lot. It's a safer plan to go with the veteran first, and if he screws up, you bring in the young kid and Josh Rosen. If you bring in Josh Rosen and right away he struggles, which may very well happen with a poor offensive line, some question marks in terms of skill position players, then all of a sudden people say, was this a lost cause, a wasted draft pick shipped to Arizona? I think it ends up with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Tomorrow night it wouldn't surprise me to see very little of either of them on the field. Again, um, as I was saying to Rob during a break, you basically put starters in bubble wrap tomorrow night, or you know, bubble wrap and ball caps, and let them watch the game from sidelines. <laughs> yeah. right, and they they open against four tough teams, teams that were in the playoffs yes. last year. So roll out the veteran and patience, 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 Dolphins fans. All right. So where you are going? Sorry. The, yes. the deadline. The deadline is coming Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern. It's got to be down to 53. Yes. What does it look like behind the scenes now? What's so happening? 90 players are allowed to be in a roster right now. As of Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. 53. So every team is making 37 transactions, close to 2,000 movements on Saturday. Now, it must happen by 4 p.m. Eastern time. We'll find out about all of them later on that evening. Guys who were cut that have less than four accrued seasons are subject to waivers. You get waived, and that means the next day another team could claim you off of a waiver, off waivers, and the priority for waivers mirrors the original NFL draft order. So the Cardinals, they'll be busy. Teams at the top of the draft. Last thing to note there is that the NFL has that short-term IR now where players can return from IR. Mm. But if they're placed on IR before Saturday at 4 p.m., they are not eligible to return later on this season. Example would be Hakeem Butler for the Cardinals. Already on IR, he's out, even if the injury might be healthy before the season is over. When the Grim Reaper is floating around the facility, no what's it like? It's, uh, it's quite nerve-wracking because... Everyone knows who he is, yep. right? Everyone yep. knows who the Grim Reaper is, and he's kind of lingering right by where you walk in, right into the facility, and he's kind of meandering around. And you don't want to be the guy that he taps on the shoulder to bring up to that office, uh, and he's asking you for your playbook. So, uh, you know, that, that day's always nerve-wracking for me. No matter what position I was in, I, was, I always felt like I wasn't exempt. Um, but everyone knows who that Grim Reaper is, and they try to... I try to curl around him as much as they can. It's never going to work. He knows where your locker is. Your imagination plays tricks in your mind, and every time you see the Grim Reaper, you're like, man, that guy's scary. Even like week six, you're like, "Uh, do I talk to him? What do I do? No, no, no. What? What what do you need? Oh, no. Okay. You don't need anything from me? Good, 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 Mm -hmm. good, good, good. It's such a big, you know, this week, dreams are realized, and then they're also also crushed, which is tough. And then teams make big plans and your quarterback retires or somebody gets hurt and everything changes. So for that, teams need to be really nimble. With that in mind, 20 years ago today, Rams quarterback Trent Green suffered a season-ending knee injury in a preseason game. They turned the offense over to an Arena League and NFL Europe star. That was Kurt Warner, the greatest show on turf, and a Hall of Fame career was born. Warner led the Rams on a Cinderella season, taking a team that was 4-12 in 1998 to a Super Bowl title against the Titans in 1999, and it stands as the greatest turnaround by a Super Bowl champ ever. Warner engineered an unprecedented offensive attack aided by Marshall Falk, 
Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce. The Rams led the NFL in scoring offense and total yards in three straight seasons. The longest streak in the Super Bowl era. And they had plenty of hardware to show for it besides the Super Bowl rings. Warner won NFL MVP in 99, 2001. Falk won in 2000. The only other team to win three straight MVPs was the Packers, all by Brett Favre. So which team do you believe is in the best situation to navigate something like that. Well, I'll say it's a reminder of the importance of these backup quarterbacks like Jacoby Brissett for a while was the ultimate you know, security blanket. I think right now, if you're looking at the top contending teams, the Saints have the best backup situation with Teddy Bridgewater, a guy that they paid good money to retain this offseason on a one-year deal and could eventually be the heir apparent. Right. And Taysom Hill. And Taysom Hill. That's right. I know Nick loves I that love guy. I love Taysom, Taysom Hill. Hill. Yeah, I love him. Yes. <laughs> Everything, the more you can do, right? It's yep. just, the more you can do. He could run out on, on punt team. He's on kickoff. He runs all the trick plays, Wildcat, and he can throw. Yeah. He's got, a, he's, you know, watching the preseason this year, I think he's had a lot more pocket presence throwing the ball down the, f- down the field, and he's done a great job with it. So Anybody I like Anybody else best situation? No, I think I think I think uh, Field okay, hit it right so on the worst. Nose. What about the worst? Worst situation. Well, worst right now. Uh, there's a couple. I would go Kansas City. Mm-hmm. I think when you look behind Patrick Mahomes, there isn't a guy that you trust back there in the backup position for you to say, okay, if something happens to Patrick Mahomes, we're in good hands. We we trust what we have, and I think you know that's the position they might have to look at in terms of getting a guy that you know they can trust and getting a guy that's been through some things. I think the biggest thing with a backup guy is. You want a guy that's been through some games, that understands. That's why Ryan Fitzpatrick has kind of made his name for himself all around the league because he's been serviceable. Exactly. Good. And and he understands the game. Yes, he knows. Yes. What are you thinking? Or the Eagles. What happens? You know, they lose their starter. Who's the backup? I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he was just working here, right? I was going to say, he <laughs> was just next to me. Wasn't he this year? Yeah. Some would say he, he had the most decorated the ESPN career. Never screwed up once during like, three shows <laughs> on the ESPN. We welcome back with open arms. And I think at, at the end of the season, I would hope. Yeah. Aren't Matt there Moore. a lot of teams that could could have used him? Like, what about the Chiefs? Right. And they ended up with Matt Moore. Yeah, right. I'm saying that, there's a, plenty of teams out there that could use a veteran-type guy. That understands, look, if they've been in a lot of offense, mm-hmm. they could come in and, and it doesn't take them a long time to learn it. It's just a number system and the plays are the plays. They get it. It's just, okay, what, is, what are you running? I've ran that before. And the terminology. Terminology. That takes some time. Takes a but, little bit, but, but they, understand they understand it. They understand all the scheme. I'm not sure there is a backup who's more familiar with the operation in his current team than Brian Hoyer in New England, who started there, mm-hmm. obviously had a tenure with a variety of other teams, Cleveland, Chicago, et cetera. Back in New England, backing up Tom Brady and... And I understand the Patriots don't want him to play a single snap this season, and they've got a player they like, and Jared Stidham they're developing right now. But And, and Rob can make this even better than I can. Mm-hmm. The question Immense is, respect three, for Brian Hoyer. Oh, yeah. Brian has been you know, a great player. Um, unfortunately, some of the times that he's been as a starter, he, he was injured. So Cleveland, yeah. it was his time, and then he tore his ACL. So sometimes it's just bad luck, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that the rookie that they have has a lot of potential so at some point you look at, okay, what is his future potential two, three, four, five down the line as opposed to Hoyer's a little bit older, you know, his potential in a few years, it's not as great as a rookie coming in with. Do you think they keep pre-season. three quarterbacks this year? I think, I, they, that's I think tough. they now, keep see the, three. Maybe. See, the hard part about keeping three guys is you lose a guy somewhere else on the roster mm-hmm. that could potentially a be a teamer. special teamer. You yeah. could keep an extra D end and maybe the DN that you have isn't great on punt team. Yep. All right, we'll keep one extra DN. The other guy can run down on punt. It'd be a big need for Hoyer out there. I think 
Kind of in a word, any chance that they use that? There's value in value, Hoyer, too. Yeah. Trade right? him, though. But those other teams. Them if- I, I would bet that there are teams that are going to call, the, if they haven't already called the Patriots about yeah. Brian Hoyer. Definitely. You know, whether anything materializes, a whole separate can, you know, a sure. kettle of fish. But still, right. people will call. They'll ask. Because you're right, they have traditionally, over the past decade or so, carried just two on the roster. Did yep. you just go kindle the fish on us right now, Phil? Yeah, every once in a while. I like you know? it. I like <laughs> it. You don't hear that often. Here we go. That time of the year. Mel Kuyper Jr. is with us now. And, Mel, this is perfect for someone like me. Consume with the NFL. Not a ton of time to watch college football. It's the Kuyper and McShea NFL Draft Guide to the College Football Season online today. It's like a Cliff's Notes, if people still remember what that is. So take us through your top quarterbacks for 2020. Well, it's Tua right now at number four on the big board, Sues, and Justin Herbert, Oregon, at number eight. You think about Tua, you know, coming in with all that offensive supporting cast. The defense is going to be starting three true freshmen on the front seven, so they're going to need him to put up big numbers. And he's a precise, accurate passer. Uh, the arm strength shows a little improvement. It's a little stronger. I think all of a sudden Tua jumps into maybe that number one spot. Yeah, Justin Herbert has all that physical talent. He has the big arm, Suze. He's the guy that everybody's going to be watching because he didn't have the great year last year. Needed to come back for this season. He's got talent around him. We'll see how he shines. He could put pressure on Tua if everything comes together this year for Justin Herbert. Eye on the two of them, but then who's your quarterback riser? Well, Jacob Beeson, yeah, went from Georgia to Washington. He's a Husky now. He's got that big time on NFL arm. He's got tremendous size. He really looks the part. And I think if he puts up numbers with a pretty good receiving core, thinking about the offensive line with Trey Adams leading the way, Nick Harris at center, uh, he could catapult way up there. So I'm not saying number one overall, but he's going to get first round attention if he plays to the level expected with all that arm talent he brings to the position. What game do you have your eye on that we should all be watching to see some top prospects week one? It's going to be a great game when you think about Auburn and Oregon Saturday night. So you have a chance to see Justin Herbert, Oregon quarterback, try to get the job done against an Auburn defensive front that's arguably the best in college football. You're going to have to deal with inside pressure provided by Derek Brown, who could be a top five, top ten pick come late April defensive tackle for Auburn, and the outside pressure from Nick Coe. So you're going to have Herbert Roy up against a defense that's strong there, covers well on the back end, but Derek Brown and Co. getting after Herbert is going to be a lot of NFL eyes on how that works out for Justin Herbert against that Auburn defense. That sounds fun. And then how about the whole season? Which game is circled? It's a circle of game for me. It's, it's LSU, who's going to be in contention for a Final Four spot and maybe a national title at Alabama. You think about LSU's offense has had trouble suits generating points against the Crimson Tide. You think about LSU's defense, though, against Tua, that's the matchup. Because on the back end, you have a great safety in Grant Delpit, who's a top-five pick, in my opinion, top three overall on the big board, and Christian Fulton, the corner, working against Henry Ruggs III and my number one guy, Jerry Judy. So Tua against that LSU defense, November 9th, LSU and Tuscaloosa against Alabama, one of the games of the year. Got it circled, too, Mel. Truly helps. Thanks, as always. New now on NFL Live from ESPN, NFL Nation Cowboys reporter Todd Archer. Jerry Jones to the crowd at the Cowboys kickoff luncheon at AT&T Stadium about the 2019 team. We're missing one, but we'll have him on the field. And I'm not joking. End quote. Hmm. He didn't mention Ezekiel Elliott by name, but obviously everybody knew who he was talking about. Very interesting. All right, good news. Titans fans, running back Derrick Henry, back on the practice field, believes he is on track to play in the opener against the Browns September 8th. 
Henry, who hasn't played in the preseason, suffered a lower leg injury on the first day of training camp. Definitely impatient, you know. I love football, I love practicing, but it felt good getting back out there, getting the sweat on, competing and being with my teammates, being with the team. It was fun to get back out there, so I'm glad I'm able to participate again, so just happy to be out there competing and practicing. you feel like you can hit the ground running in Cleveland and be, be yourself? Yes, sir, that's the plan. Let's tackle some roster depth from a fantasy perspective and also the reality. So from the fantasy perspective, how do the Titans look? Well, we know that Derrick Henry is the guy, and he was tremendous last quarter of last season, the final four games. Deion Lewis still an excellent pass catching back. Here's the thing about Derrick Henry, which makes me a little bit nervous, is that if you're drafting him, what you need is for Tennessee to be good on defense, to keep games low scoring, and for them to be functional enough on offense that they can hand him off the football somewhere between 18 and 20 times a game. Not a huge part of the passing game, and just a type of player that isn't as sudden as the kind of guys that you see that have more game-changing ability on the perimeter, as, of course, we show a play where he takes a toss sweep and goes many, <laughs> many yards. But still, the point is, not as dynamic as the open field runner as some of the other guys being drafted around. What is the reality of the Titans' offense right now? Well, I think the reality is, is where does Mar- Mar- Marcus Mariota stand? I-, I think that's the biggest question mark for me going into this season. Obviously, he's had some ups and downs in his career. But where does he stand? I think this is a, a very important year for him in terms of where he is long term and the decisions that the Titans will Contract have to make. Contract year for Contract him. year and this, the decisions that the uh, Titans will obviously have to make uh, post this season. So that's the biggest question mark for me. Is Marcus Mariota your guy? They'll, they'll have to either prove that this year or they'll go in a different direction. And I'm going to say that I think that Ryan Tannehill will probably be the starting quarterback at some point <laughs> in this season. Um, you think about a pro-style offense, he has that pocket presence, accuracy, Deion Lewis, like tremendous player, but you need the quarterback that's able to get him the ball in those situations. Mariota, I feel like, Maybe lost a little bit of confidence. Last year was banged up. You start having stingers in your throwing arm. It's never good when you lose strength in your throwing arm. And, you know, I just think that the confidence there could be lacking a little bit with Mariota now that he's a little, a little bit beat up. And, you know, I was at that game when they played the Patriots, the, the Titans and the Patriots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just I didn't see a guy that was making the throws that you want from your starting quarterback. And yep. Tannehill was making the throws that you want to see from a quarterback. Plus, Mariota has never finished a 16-game regular yeah, and that's season. Exactly. He's never played them all. That's, that's so chances the are that you look at moving good. forward, it's probably going to happen. Right, yeah. so as rosters are shaped, Niners head coach Kyle Shanahan had some interesting things to say about second-year receiver Dante Pettis. Quote, he can be our best player on this team. He could be our best punt returner. He could be our number one receiver, our number two receiver, our slot receiver, or just a role receiver. He did say this was a compliment to the guy because he's very talented. So in the nod to fantasy, how do you feel about the wide receiver depth for the Niners? So I am drafting, uh, if I have my pick of all four Niners wide receivers, I'm drafting Dante Pettis first, but not until, like, he's like 35 amongst my wide receiver rankings this season. The target share was fine last year, but the inconsistency is what's going to be the question mark going into this year. Plus, They've got a lot of other really solid wide receivers. Debo Samuel, a player they like, they didn't draft it this year. Marquis Goodwin, their best downfield threat. And we'll see how they use Jalen Hurd, their third-round pick out of Baylor, who's sort of a running back, sort of a wide receiver. Maybe we'll see if they some snap Wildcat. Interesting wide receiver group in San Francisco. The, best, the biggest thing for me is Dante Pettis. When your coach comes out and, and, and kind of gives you that 
that alley-oop to like, look, listen, the ball's in your court. You have to go out there and earn your position, earn your spot on this team. There's no other spot you want to be in. That means they trust in you, they have confidence in you that you can be better than what you've shown, and now go out there and do it. And I think Dante Pettis has an opportunity to be that guy, either number one receiver, number two, punt returner, like Coach Shanahan said, he has that opportunity. And as a player, you want to relish in that and, and, and kind of bask in that and go out there and put your best foot forward. So I expect nothing but great things from Dante Pettis this year, given that confidence, knowing he has the confidence of his coaching staff. As a wide receiver, you'll like this. Kyle Shanahan pointed out that he kind of wants the temperament of the offense to change, be tougher. Mm-hmm. And you don't really do that with the offensive line. They are tough guys. Mm-hmm. Or with the running backs, they get hit on every play. But if your wide receivers are tough, then the whole offense changes has the a entire complexion of, of your team. Toughness. When you show up on film blocking downfield for your running backs and things like that, it changes the entire complexion of that football team. How about the running backs? So we had some interesting news today from John Lynch on KMBR Radio, who mentioned that Jarek McKinnon had had another setback yesterday, mm. his second so far this preseason, coming off of that ACL tear. What it means is that Tevin Coleman and Matt Breida kind of have this backfield to themselves. I think that Tevin Coleman is a superior pass catcher. Matt Breida is the more explosive runner. But Coleman has the best value, in my opinion. These might be two players that, because they're sharing backfield duties, I feel a little bit more angst about drafting either one of them too high. Coleman, a very good scheme fit, a one-cut runner, good in the passing game. Breida, though, so tough. Talk about a guy that played through a lot last year. He was on the injury report every week with a new injury, and he showed up every single Sunday. They love him. He just can't carry the load just because of all those injuries. How do you like the way they look as a whole at offense? When you look at the whole picture, you have a quarterback coming back from an injury, so you're going to have to rely on a little bit of that running game, right? A guy that's coming back from an ACL is going to have a little bit of growing pains. I think we saw that in the preseason with all the talk about the the no passer rating and all that stuff that happened to Jimmy G. Um, So I think the running game is going to be important, and when you have more guys that you feel confident in, hey, we're going to run multiple things in this offense – to help our quarterback have some confidence, the receiving core and the running back position is going to be important then moving forward to have a successful offensive attack. Let's quickly hit on the Eagles and their running back situation. Yeah, another good problem for G for Howie Roseman oversees a football operation. Miles Sanders, second-round pick out of Penn State. Excellent in space, going to be a valuable pass catcher. My question, though, is will he see a heavy load? He actually returned the opening kickoff for them in a game in preseason, which indicates to me he may not be the starter unto himself. Jordan Howard is the hammerhead, the finisher. They've also got guys like Darren Sproles and Wendell Smallwood and Corey Clement. Philadelphia, if they want to try to trade a running back, team to keep an eye on at the end of this week as rosters taking shape. Hey, by the way, Deshaun Jackson broke his finger, but they don't expect him to miss any time. Sure. NFC now, as teams work to get their roster set, we're going to run through the rosters that the guys tell us that they believe are looking really solid and good. So, Victor, you're going to go first again. Let's start with the NFC East. What okay. unit do you like on offense? This the pains best? me a little bit, Susie, but I got to go with the Dallas Cowboys. Obviously, <laughs> Dak Prescott, Ezekiel <laughs> Elliott, Amari Cooper, they have a ton of weapons offensively. And I think the biggest storyline that we fail to talk about is that offensive line. That offensive line is, is one of the best, if not the best, offensive lines in the NFL. And obviously having one of the best running backs in the backfield behind that offensive line just takes you to new heights. So I think the Dallas Cowboys are the most complete offense in the NFC East right now. Rob, you're handling the defense. Yes. So on the defensive side of things, the Cowboys are looking pretty good. So I'm going to go with the Cowboys again in the East. You talk about marriage of front and coverage. When you're a good defense, you have a great front that gets after the quarterback and your secondary 
can bottle things up. Their linebacker core, they have a great linebacking core, young group that I think that they'll continue to grow, and, you know, the Cowboys are looking good on defense. Are we saying that the Cowboys are a complete team, Susan? They, they look pretty sounds good. Sounds pretty complete okay. field in the okay. East. What's the biggest concern? How about Trent Williams and mm. his current holdout with the Washington Redskins? A really good player in a premium position at left tackle. They signed Donald Penn. They seem to have options to replace him if they don't have him back in camp. The problem is they don't want to trade him either. It seems weird to me that you would not want to acquire some assets if you feel like Donald Penn is good enough to play. But frankly, I'm not sure exactly what the residents are thinking with this one. There are a lot of teams, Houston, hint, hint, wink, wink, that could really use a left tackle upgrade right now. <laughs> On to the uh, NFC North, Victor. What on, unit is the strongest? Okay, as much as I love the Bears overall in mm. this division, I'm going to go offensively with the Minnesota Vikings. I love Kirk Cousins. The, the combination of Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs together, I mean, those two receivers, you can't cover just one with one guy. You have to account for them. Obviously, Kyle Rudolph at the tight end position gives them a dynamic pass catcher at that position. I just think the Vikings offensively, they're just ready to rock and roll. Kirk Cousins and those guys are ready to roll. I think I can guess where Rob's going here. Uh-oh. Vic, I'm going to go to my hometown team. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say here. The NFC North, the Chicago Bears, okay? And they got one guy I got to say, Mac. Mac attack on defense. They're going to do it, I'm telling you. The defense in Chicago, they're the best. You're going full John Gruden on us? <laughs> no, that ain't Who's that? Come on, you know, that's the oh, super fan. Oh, Let's God, not forget right. special That's right. Although Carly Lloyd has not yet been signed by the Bears to handle their <laughs> kicking duties, they're at still a question mark. Who will it be? Eddie Pinheiro is the last kicker on the current roster. And I know the Bears fans don't want to relive double doink for showing right now, but they made a big deal of it. Head coach Matt Nagy is not hit from it. They need a kicker they can rely upon every single week. And right now, we're not sure if they have it. The Bears. (laughs) What offense do you love in the NFC South? All right, NFC South, I'm going with Drew Brees in the New Orleans Saints, obviously with Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, that offensive line that keeps Drew Brees upright, keeps him looking over top of that offensive line to, to deliver the ball down the field. I just think this team, obviously they were one play away from their goals and getting to that big dance. Drew Brees and New Orleans Saints are the most complete offense, and they're only going to do more of the same this year. Yep, they're pretty good. Vic, are we right here? I think we're I right think here. We're eye to eye on this. The NFC yeah. South, I'm going to go with the Saints. Okay. You know, they have a great front. I think the secondary has great depth. That's a motivated team. When mm-hmm. I say motivated, we all know what happened to them last year. They were one play away from getting to the ultimate game. So I think that they're going to be extra motiv- motivated, and that dome is really hard to play in if you're an offense. The front can get off on the snap. So... NFC South Saints, they're going to be tough. I played there, and he's not lying. Very hard to play in there. Ron Rivera says no big deal. Cam Newton will unquestionably be ready for week one. That being said, see, we'll see the first official practice report come out next Wednesday. And yes, it's one thing to be available for week one. Another thing to be, is he fully healthy? And with Cam, we know, perhaps the best running quarterback in football. If he's got a mid-foot sprain that is not 100%, does that change his ability to be a dynamic runner? Not only is he a great runner in space, I think he is as good of a goal line running back as there is in the NFL. He's a quarterback. Who's got the strength in the West? Uh, strength in the NFC West for me are the Los Angeles Rams. I think because they returned the nucleus of that offense, Jared Goff, Brandon Cooks, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods. I mean, these guys know each other. They understand this offense. And Jared Goff loves to throw to those guys. And obviously, Todd Gurley goes without question, goes without mention. We'll see how his knee holds up throughout the year. But I think he'll still be effective and still be a playmaker for that Rams offense. Same page? Same page. So, NFC West, NFC West, the Rams. I like it. The Rams, they were in the ultimate game last year. They played well. The defensive unit is very talented. But they got a guy 
that disrupts every play. When you have a guy like Aaron Donald on the field for your defense, it's going to make you a great defense. So NFC West, Rams, they're the team that's going to have the best defense. Yeah, who might uh, Donald be chasing down? Well, the only player we haven't talked about at all this offseason, Kyler Murray, number one pick in the draft, Oklahoma Heisman Trophy winner, could have played baseball professionally. Unbelievable. The guy's got all the skills, right? We'll see once the games actually matter. Starts in week one against the Detroit Lions. The game is being played at home. This division is going to be very difficult. The roster around him is not great. But let's find out how much Kyler Murray can change the tenor of this organization's future. Because if he is as good as some people believe he is, all of a sudden Arizona could find itself right in the mix in the NFC West, which is an excellent division with good young quarterbacks on every other team. All right, so since you guys are in such lockstep, and we're looking at... At least three mm. complete teams. So, out of these teams, who do you think is coming out of the coming out of the NFC? Saints. Right here, right here. I'm going the Bears. The Bears. I'm going the Bears. Ooh. Okay. I love that defense. The Bears. Defense wins Saints. games. Saints. Yep. We'll see. Break the tie with the Philadelphia Eagles. Ooh. There we go. Sorry. I'm really? Just, there you go. They're, they're not up here. They're not, up here. Field. not, up here. not on this list. You know, make your own rules. That's, that's all right. Sometimes you got to step outside good. the boundaries. I get it. He's doing that. Make He'll a case. Bottom line, a lot of strength coming out of the mm-hmm. NFC. Absolutely. Solid, complete teams. We had to get to this. Helmet saga over. Drama never ends. Despite being out of Pittsburgh for months, A.B. took to Twitter yesterday to talk about his old teammate. Here's what led to it. On Sunday Night Football, Michelle Tafoya sat down with Big Ben, and she asked him about A.B., and he said, I wish I wouldn't have done it, referring to his criticism of Brown's route running. Quote, obviously, we saw what happened, and obviously it ruined a friendship. I just got caught up in emotion and the heat of the battle. So that's what Ben said in a since-deleted tweet. A.B. wrote, never friends, just had to get my ends. Shut up already. Again, since deleted, when do you just, when do you turn the page and move on? Did your, I, I was thinking like six months ago. That yeah. works. <laughs> can teammates help him out? When he's on a new team now and he's right. the guy, just let it go. Like, why are you so interested? Mm-hmm. Why are you so interested in what they're doing? Focus and I'm on not, yourself. I'm not sure he's developed enough of a rapport with his current teammates in Oakland for that for that guy to come out to him and say, "Ab, like, turn the page. Like, it's all good. We're here now. Let's keep going. Let's focus on what we got here in black and white and silver, and, and get ready for Week One and turn the page. Get that all behind. Us. And also, the NFL is a respect thing. Mm-hmm. Your new teammates, your new teammates, you have to earn the respect of your new teammates. It doesn't matter how much money you make. You have to go out there and you have to produce. You have to be there, be consistent, be on time, do what you're told. Do your job. Do your job. And I feel like when you're not showing up to camp and you have these issues like the feet, like put shoes on, uh, the helmet, put a new helmet on. It's new technology. Protect your coconut. It's very important. We all know that. So it just it doesn't make sense. No team wants week one to just be here and get on the field and play more than the Raiders. Absolutely. Like we just, I, w- I almost wish they could have a fifth preseason game between the Raiders and the Steelers <laughs> yeah. and just say, like, finale. Exactly. No matter what just, happens. No. We'll play, we'll play it on Friday. That, I don't care. That is a recipe for a disaster. Just don't get it over yeah. with, right? So this is disaster. the end of it. I, I just, it makes no sense to me. This, like, this is more dramatic than, like, a Lin-Manuel Miranda screenwrite. Like, it's unbelievable. Like, it's like every time we turn, it's like something petty. Like, I feel like there are teenagers out here being like, come on, guys, chill. Like, even we're not this petty. You know? It's... But I think Ben apologized and just tried to move on. It seems on from like it. it's maybe more done in his yes. book than it is in AB. Exactly. Yep. Done. Done. So my fifth preseason game. We're done. 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 And we'd be done talking about AB in the helmet and the feet and the Ben comments. 
I want to be. I agree. Easy, I agree. I'm at my wits. Not now. gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> Eight days to kick off. We open up the vintage vault and find two legendary quarterbacks. Let's start with Troy Aikman. Cowboys, the triplets, and Rob, you were such a Oof. big fan. Like, what's the greatest I, memory here? You know, I may or may not have had the Cowboys bedspread and all the stuffed Cowboys in my room when I was 10 years old. But, you know, I would say Troy Aikman, just ultimate team guy. You know, never selfish, trying to put the team first, and look at all the success he had. Just One of my all amazing player. favorite induction speeches to the Hall of Fame was Troy Aikman because that's what he said it was about. Yeah. It was never about the numbers. Mm-hmm. It was all about team. team. And when you play as a team, like, look what you can accomplish. Great thing. And he had one of the best teams, uh, you know, arguably ever assembled over there. So yeah. it was kind of easy to get those guys the ball. But did, watching him play, you felt every pass, every throw, you felt his greatness and kind of his aura every time he threw the football. And it was great to watch. Another great number eight. Our very own Steve Young. What do you think about when you think of Steve Young? What well, do you think about? Well, you know, of course, the monkey being lifted off his back <laughs> and that Super Bowl win over the Chargers, dynamic, best passing performance maybe ever in the Super Bowl. And a guy who is just sharp as attack, patience, waited his time, not complain, and certainly made good on it once he got his chance to start in San Francisco. Yeah, watching him play was a lot of fun, too. Obviously throwing the ball to Jerry Rice all over the football field. But I just like that he was a lefty out there doing his thing and 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 putting the team on his back every time he got the chance. His ability to make plays out of the pocket and move, mm-hmm. you know, nobody liked that. Lefty, running around, yeah. diving for touchdowns. I mean, he did whatever he could to win, and, you know, it, he's a Hall of Famer. You know, when we're on the field at game sites and we're about to do Monday Night Countdown, he's still, he's out there running Going. around like a he's kid. Still, yeah, he's throwing yeah, the ball. Yeah. I love it. Still loves it. And sometimes I have to remind myself just how great he was. Oh, he was what amazing. he accomplished. He was amazing. That's a wrap for us.